This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. When you talk about Wisconsin, in every single poll about drinking, I think on the planet, per, per city, per capita, or whatever, like nine out of the top ten cities in America for drinking is, is in Wisconsin, it seems like, when you talk about that kind of stuff. So I would have thought that they would have a pretty robust scene, uh, given given all of that. And it sounds like they do. So they do. Yeah, they drink a lot of beer. of Bitter Units, a beer podcast hosted by the TailgateSociety.com, proudly presented by our sponsors, Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best goddamn barbecue sauce on the face of the planet, in the universe, and pretty much any other galaxy or anything else you want to talk about, they're the stuff. Um, <laughs> they actually released some, uh, or I don't know if it's officially released, was that the video today? But yeah, they uh, actually they dropped a new video on, on Twitter today. Uh, with, I believe it is four superfood flavors. Uh, so flavors of barbecue sauce laced with superfoods. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce all of them uh, because I'm pretty sure I can't. Yeah. Uh, but check them out at deadeyebarbecuesauce.com. You can find them at Hy-V, Fairway, locallymarket.com, and their website, deadeyebarbecuesauce.com. So we're back. Another edition. Um, I'm sure that uh, you guys are wondering what we're doing, still doing this, but people are listening, so we're still doing it. And we are joined by Kyle Schmidt of the Better Beer Society. Tim, you know Mr. Schmidt. Tell us a little bit about him. <laughs> I'm going to let him talk about himself. We, I've known Kyle now for uh, oh God. about six years. That sounds right. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think I have the distinction for hiring you into your first beer job. Am I accurate yeah, with that? Well, at least at a brewery. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, yes. Yeah, so a long, long time, you know, beer adjacent person. Uh, yeah. So this is all that. your fault, is what you're telling yeah, us. Yeah. No, I guess people can. Um, People can blame me, but uh, yeah, no. Tim and I, Tim and I worked together for a few years at a uh, brewery here in Twin Cities, and uh, um, yeah, it uh, that long, long time good person, uh, Tim. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad you could uh, you could join us. So Kyle's done uh, a number of things around the the beer community. He's, he's been able to. Uh, help out a lot of people. What he does right now works a lot with with beer education for bars and restaurants, for consumers, for things like that. Um, he is a certified cicerone. That we've talked about that before. He can he can maybe talk a little bit about what that process looks like to get that that official title as well. And he is the vice president of operations and. 
uh, what was it, education or training for the education training? Yeah, lots lots of different titles in there. Um, you know, when you're when you're a small company, you can have as many titles as you want. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're we're a small Twin Cities company. Um, we do lots of different business to business things for bars, restaurants, uh, breweries. We do lots of. I originally got started with the company doing lots of uh, staff training for front of house people. Um, and evolved into some like beer development programs and serving and things like that. Um, most of the work that I do now and most of the people in our company work um, around draft beer, which is like designing and installing and maintaining uh, systems to dispense uh, beer at bars and restaurants and, and breweries and all that good stuff and, and other beverages too. But uh, that's, that's where I've done most of my work for the last couple of years. So uh Certainly, a uh, an unusual landscape at the moment in uh, in a world where no one's drinking much beer at bars or restaurants or breweries or tap rooms. But uh, it's it's a fun industry to to be in, and it's been fun to see different parts of it, and to you know have to deal with people like Tim. You know, it's uh, you get a thick skin real quick. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kyle used to actually be a school teacher. So yes. I was gonna. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Kyle. Me too. <laughs> uh, who is more difficult to to teach? Bar managers, bar staff, oh, uh, and or brewery staff, or kids? Uh, well, the key is to make whatever you're teaching as simple as if you're teaching it to kids. So if you do, <laughs> if you do that, then uh, then by and large, you're going to be successful. At least most of the time, people are you know getting paid to to be, uh, you know, listening to me in some form. So that usually helps, but, uh, you know, it depends on the day, like anything else. Focus a lot on in training and safety and the, so design, you do design of bar systems. So trunk lines and all of that kind of stuff or. Yep. 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 Yeah. So we kind of are, what we do is it comes lots of ways to make beer pour, uh, you know, any, any home brewers ever keg beer can get beer pouring for you. Uh, there's, you know, lots of different, uh, you know, sort of a progression of draft systems and bars and restaurants and things like that. But what we specialize in is kind of engineering um, solutions to fit spaces so that, you know, beer pours well and does what it's supposed to. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, you know, a brewery and you got a tap room, you know, it's the only thing that you sell. So, uh, you know, if you're not getting every every dollar, every penny out of it, then you need to rethink what you're doing. So that's, uh, that's kind of been our specialty and our niche is making sure people are, are getting the beer to pour well. And, uh, you know, it's tasting good along the way and everything's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And I think we've all been to a bar before where we can definitely taste there's something off in the lines. And, and maybe after that first or second one, we're switching to uh, a bottle or can with the margins, yeah. you know, yeah. the margins aren't there or whatever. Get well, that we little, might not uh, be back of the head headache. Starts up after the first beer and a half. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely something that I hope more and more people continue to, to take uh, advantage of, of you guys and that that service. I think uh, as we're getting into the space where, where the bars and restaurants are opening, um, have people been still maintaining that that draft quality, even though they haven't been pouring beer out of those draft lines? Sure. It's been, it's been all over the place, to be honest with you. Um, you know, lots of places that shut down entirely. Uh, you know, we did lots of work to, to shut systems down, which is it's a process because, you know, most of that equipment is meant to be running all the time. 
Um, and other places, you know, continued to, you know, we, we've seen lots of problems in the last few weeks, for sure, that are directly a result of, you know, these types of systems not being used the way that they're supposed to be for extended periods of time. And, you know, getting them back clean and up to snuff and ready to pour product in is, it's it's a process like anything else. And um, certainly it's, it's one of those things that uh, a lot of, it was easy to let it fall by the wayside, right? Um, while people were doing other things with their businesses and their operations to, to try to stay in business uh, during that time. I would imagine as you guys are going back into the, some of those coolers uh, to get those couplers as well, probably starting to see some, some kegs that have been sitting for some time. Yeah. Yes. Most, uh, you know, most distributors and breweries were, were good about getting beer back. Um, you know, ultimately a lot of that stuff actually ended up as hand sanitizer. Um, a lot of, a lot of product got taken back in and then there were some larger breweries that took outdated beer in and distilled it down into hand sanitizer. So that was good, but, um, you know, it's, uh, distributors and, and breweries and stuff furloughed people during this time too. So even just getting some of this old product, uh, picked up and all that stuff, it's, it's been a challenge. There's a lot of inventory sitting around in a lot of coolers and, and a lot of it is uh, not sellable. Aaron, JT, have you guys made it out? I know Aaron, you were traveling for, for work here recently. Have you guys actually made it out to a brewery or a bar as things have started to open back up? I definitely have. I've, I've got one of my, it's kind of funny you mentioned beer lines going bad. I think I actually texted you, maybe, Tim. I went to, uh, there was a Bennigan's that reopened here, not because of the COVID, but because they needed to renovate the place. And I went there and took one sip of beer. I'm like, oh, my God, no. It must have been sitting during the entire pandemic because it is one of the worst beers I've ever had. <laughs> and it was it was a common beer. It was a very it was like, you know, uh, Lagunas IPA or something like that. Very common beer that, you know, what it should taste like. And and I'm just getting a bottle of Coors Light or whatever. But yeah, but I've definitely gone. Uh, one of my favorite breweries, 515, is not open unless you're on the patio, which when it's 90 degrees out, I'm not on the patio. Um but one of my favorite breweries, Twisted Vine, has been open. They kind of limited their hours, but I've been there a couple of times, and I'll just sit at the bar by myself and have a flight or whatever, and they don't let people pour their own water. They don't let people do anything like that, so they're really controlling things. And But it's been nice to be back there because as a place I'd go every week before it all shut down, so it's nice to be back, and it's certainly – crowler is a lot of fun i know you hate that term but uh <laughs> but getting it actually fresh and being able to do have like five or six different beers in a flight is kind of nice because they've got a lot of really good beers and sometimes i get tired of the ipas and i want to do a stout or i get tired of the stout and i want to do a you know a oh they got a weiss beer that they mix with fruit syrup and it actually tastes really good which i never thought would be a thing but the beer tender there's like you've had this a million times put the syrup in it you're gonna like it like <laughs> gun you're actually right so yeah I've, i haven't actually been out uh here at home uh really any um so in the seattle area it's still pretty tight on what you can do and where you can go and and all of that uh i was in montana last week for work and if you didn't know there was a pandemic going on you wouldn't know it in montana <laughs> um, very the most, people, the most socially distant state yeah, yeah right very few people wearing masks i mean you could tell 
the restaurants had spaced their tables out more and, you know, servers and stuff were wearing masks. But uh, the general population was like, this isn't happening and we're just going about our day. Um, so I've seen, you know, a ton of that uh, out there. But, uh, you know, they're they're picking back up and restaurants were busy. But it's, you know, I've always hated the fact that restaurants cram tables together so much that you can't scoot your chair out without hitting another table anyways. So having the extra space, I was kind of happy about that, being a bigger guy, that I could sit without being squeezed into someplace. So, um, but uh, yeah, overall, uh, here locally, I, I just haven't haven't been out much. I mean, it's just it's too much craziness going on in my my neck of the woods in Seattle and and Everett, and I'm just I'm just sort of hanging out at home when I'm home. So. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw that that Texas had opened wide up, and now they had to back down to fifty percent again, uh, just because all their cases skyrocketed. So, I, I'm not necessarily in any hurry to get every everybody going. Well, and that's yeah, it's everything that's happened so far here. You know, in the Twin Cities where Tim and I are, it's been so slow and tentative, and you know, everybody's been very cautious and. Um, you know, making sure they're taking care of their employees first and foremost. And obviously just being, you know, you're you're not going to win anybody back or convince anybody to go out by, you know, not being cautious, right? You you have to convince people that you're going above and beyond to, you know, even have people consider uh, going somewhere for a pint or a, or a burger or, or whatever. And it's just, it's a high bar to clear right now. And I've been telling people in general, you know, if unless you're going to a brewery to get beer from the brewery or drink at the brewery, Man, I would I would stick to to package product right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would I would get that can of uh, or that bottle or whatever because you just don't know, um, you know, like the experience that you had. You know, are you drinking beer that's been sitting in a draft line for three months? Even if the draft line's clean, are you drinking a beer that's six months old? You know, where they just yeah. hooked the keg back up and uh, and threw it on. So it's just you're you're rolling the dice with your with your time and your money. Yeah, and I try. I kind of try to stick to places within a short distance of my house because I just feel that even when I did carry and all that, it was in my neighborhood. It was less than half a mile away because I figure the closer you stay home, the less chance you have into running something else. And if more people did that, then the spread won't be as bad as it is. Hi, Florida. How are you doing? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so. Yeah, I just think if people take personal responsibility and you're not stupid about it, but in today's society, apparently that's asking a lot right now. So, so it's interesting, and you get into, and I think another thing people maybe don't understand, um, and and obviously Kyle and and Tim can both speak to this, is how intricate a tap system can be because they can be run a hundred feet away from their kegs and the keeping it cool the whole time from the cooler to the taps with the glycol system and all of those types of things. It's all, it's a a balancing act. Um, And most people don't, don't understand how much, how many moving parts there are involved in that. Um, Do you want to kind of maybe in a real general way, kind of explain some of that to people because like well you know i just said it glycol system well what is that you know what is that how does that factor into whether you're getting a good beer out of the tap or not sure yeah most of the time when you go out to a bar or restaurant and you're you see a a tower of beer um 
you know, typically the, the cooler is located somewhere that's not where that tower is, right? So you have to get beer from the cooler uh, to that tower, and it can be, you know, 30, 40, 50, 150 feet away. Um, so by and large, you know, the product travels from the cooler through a, a bundle, you know, basically a giant wrapped um, sausage of, of beer lines uh, that travels around <laughs> to the tower. And uh, along the way, it has contact with uh, with a refrigerant, um, which uh, is is glycol in beer systems. And if everything's working properly, everything's designed uh, correctly and, and all that stuff, which is uh, not not a given, um, then uh, ideally that uh, that beer is the same temperature at the faucet as it is when it left the keg. That's that's what you're going for, not only because, you know, you want to serve beer at the right temperature and all that stuff, but. You know, when beer pours at 36, 38, 40 degrees, it pours out of the faucet as beer, which is what you want to be pouring into the glass instead of foam. Because when you pour foam into the glass, you're pouring waste uh, down the drain. So that's, uh, you know, kind of the the two things going hand in hand. But, yeah, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, equipment and, and, you know, engineering type challenges uh, of getting beer to run into lots of different types of spaces and this part of part of the fun of uh of what our team does well my my two installers that work for us they they love the challenge of getting to pour beer in unique spaces and unique runs and unique setups and it's fun it's like a puzzle i mean you talk about the line and i've got a distributor what i do is chemicals um but i've got a distributor who's a beer line cleaner by by trade out in portland oregon and uh he you know he's got rolls of this trunk line you know, sitting around in his shop and stuff. And it's eight poly tubes with a mm-hmm. copper tube. But I mean, you got to go around corners and do things that people don't quite understand all of what goes into getting, just getting the beer to the tap so that you can drink. It's pretty incredible sometimes to see what they do with it and getting it to turn corners and all kinds of stuff without pinching the copper line that's in it and everything else. So, um, it's just one of those things that you never really think about when you've got a home keg or something. It's like a two-foot line right. out of the front of your refrigerator. Right. And it's right. not well, what restaurants are like. Exactly, yeah. Well, and it's it's such a wide range, too. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, beer travels straight up through the floor because maybe the cooler is right below the bar or something like that. But uh, we did a, a brewery here in the Twin Cities last year that was uh, – we had product that had to do – two different stories had to go up a story and down a story and travel 175 feet and um, get run to three different draft towers. It's just, it's all kinds of crazy stuff that you kind of have to account for and um, figure out where you're making the trade-offs and, you know, what you need to get it from A to B and, and B beer at the, at the end of the sequence. Right. Well, last week we talked about the right number of beer lines for a restaurant or whatever, right. With the guys, uh, from Apple Applebee's and uh, you know they're at eight in most places and it's not just you know we didn't really touch on it but it's not just as simple as adding another tap when you want to add another line or expand what you're offering um, there's some real engineering and and work that goes into that and that's why it's so important to get it right the first time I think yeah no for sure and it's uh you know, if you're if you're in a restaurant, it's one of the few things on your menu that has any margin on it. So, you know, if you if you don't do it right, uh, you know, and you're you're wasting even even a small number, even two percent, five percent, you know, eight percent of product, um, you know, at the end of the day, end of the year, end of whatever, um, it's a lot of 
a lot of money if uh, if it's not done well. I mean, Tim knows, you know, like somewhere in a in a brewery and in, in direct premise like that, you know, it, when when that's the only thing you sell there, uh, at the end of a couple of years, that two percent is enough to buy another fermenter for for a brewer. So, right. Um, it looks like Tim might be having some te- technical difficulties. He's got pillows in front of his that's face. Just, or that's normal, like that's his normal of, space. Like feet or maybe socks. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. That's his, but, that's his uh, normal face, I believe. <laughs> the, well, uh, if we don't have to see his face, this will be a better podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what my wife says about me all the time. Um, but, you know... We talked about that at the eight beer lines and all of that with those guys last week and and cleaning and all that. And I think I think they said they used to be every two weeks and now they're every month as the standard for Applebee's. You guys obviously may have a different standard. What is your standard for what you do for your clients and stuff and uh, what what's the reasoning behind it? Sure. Uh, well, our our hold of it, we're we're best practices company. Um, so, you know, the, the Brewers Association, uh, the trade groups that, you know, develop policy for breweries and craft breweries and things like that. There's a there's a whole giant 90 uh, page book on on draft beer. It's called the, the draft beer quality manual. It's free online if you want some light, you know, PDF reading here before bed. <laughs> light, um, <yeah. laughs> but uh, it's it's a great resource and it, you know, it serves as, uh, you know, beer's sort of official draft, uh, you know, handbook or, or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, you, if, if you care about the quality of beer, uh, you have to clean beer lines every two weeks. And the reason you have to do it is it takes uh, 11 days for bacteria to start growing inside beer lines. And it starts to manifest uh, in the product at like 14, 15 days. So, you know, different, there are different places that take different approaches to that, depending on what your interest is, you know, whether you're a whether you're a brewery or a restaurant or a, you know, a, a wholesaler or something like that, who's doing the line cleaning um, in a lot of States, wholesalers do that work in other States. Uh, third parties have to do that work. There's some States and cities and things like that, that have laws that mandate how often you clean. And there are other places where it's, it's kind of the wild west. So you just, you have to be careful and thoughtful with uh, you know, who you choose to support and um, what their motivations are in um you know, taking care of their draft system. Right. Yeah. So I, and I, I'm the beer idiot of the group here, but I know a little bit about this side of it because my distributor is an IBDA member. Um, and, uh, so he does all the beer line stuff and installs and all the stuff that you're talking about doing, um, and all of that. And he's two weeks and, and it surprised me how different it is. Like you mentioned from every state, to every other state. Montana is a distributor state, clean state. So the distributors are responsible for it as opposed to Oregon, where that's third parties that get contracted out. And it's incredible that there's not a more regulated national thing for this. Um, and Tim and I, we talked about it before too, some with what's acceptable for cleaning, uh, because that's the business that I'm in. But, you know, it has to say beer on it or because you report to the FDA or the right. ag or whoever. And it's like a, as big a business as this is, it just still amazes me at how sort of discombobulated it all seems to be. Oh, absolutely. And it's uh, particularly ironic, too, because so often these, you know, you're, you're inside a kitchen in a restaurant, right, which is so highly regulated in terms of, you know, what has to be done with 
you know, health and cleanliness and things like that. And then you open a, you know, a cooler door and where the beer is and it's, it's the wild west inside there. Um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that you have to be mindful of, you know, when you're a consumer, cause there's, a, you know, even within the span, you know, you're talking specifically about how often you clean beer lines, but there's right and wrong ways to clean them too. So there's just, there's, you know, there's lots of different, uh, kind of factors that add up to whether or not you're drinking clean beer out of the tap at any given time. Yeah, no, absolutely. We talk about making sure the draft lines are clean. We talk about make sure you get the best quality of a draft beer. What's the biggest enemy? Is it sunlight? Is it temperature? Is it bacteria? What is the biggest enemy for a draft beer not tasting like it should? Uh, for draft, I mean, there's lots of different enemies of beer in in different places and at different times. For draft, it's it's bacteria, and that's just a product of time. You know, it's uh, you get the you get the line clean. Uh, beer has yeast in it. Yeast, uh, you know, holds residual bacteria and eventually manifests after after a certain period of time. If you were talking about like cans and bottles, stuff you buy at the store, then yes, it is. You know, more often things like temperature or, or sunlight or something like that can uh, can have impacts too. Right on. So that's you know enough about all that nitty gritty beer line stuff. Um, tell us a little bit about. <laughs> um, the Cicerone part of it, right? So most people don't even know what that is. And we've talked about it here before, um, that it is uh, like a sommelier for wine. You are a Cicerone for beer. Um, the expert on taste and what's supposed to be in different styles and all of that, I assume. Um, how do you, do you know how many certified Cicerones there are? Because like oh, in gosh. sommeliers, it's a big deal. But like, they can tell you how many there are. And... Well, yeah, and there's there's different uh, levels of, of Cicerone, just as there are with, with Psalms, too. Um, you know, it, it's tough to say. It's it's proliferated uh, quite a bit over the last uh, few years. I wouldn't I wouldn't attempt to to venture a guess. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely right. It's, you know, the, the program was designed and set up to essentially have, a, you know, a certification track for the industry like wine does with Psalms. And, uh, yeah, and it, when I, uh, got into, into beer, started venturing into beer late two thousands, uh, that sort of time period, it was definitely kind of a, it, it was a way to, um, you know, kind of prove that, you know, you, you could do different things that you had interests that you're capable of, uh, you know, passing this test, that sort of thing. It, it's, it's changed a little bit, uh, since then it's become a little bit more, uh, accessible, which I think is a good thing. Um, they've, you know, made, you know, sort of, uh, different tiers of the program to try to encourage, you know, even as someone as basic as, uh, um, you know, a server Me. or, uh, you know, something. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, well it's sort of the, the, you know, the casual, the casual, uh, beer person, right. Or casual service industry person to being able to, you know, kind of participate and, uh, do some of the things that, that go along with that. Um, but you know, it's, it, it does have its, you know, sort of fancy tier. There is a, it's called a master, uh, Cicerone level of which there's only like, I don't know, 13 or 14 in the world and, you know, 2% of people pass the test and that sort of thing. So they, they definitely do the thing where they, you know, they have the kind of the stratification and, and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun thing to partake in. It was one of the first things kind of studying for that test, uh, that really got me interested in beer, uh, when I was homebrewing a lot too, and, um, kind of convinced me that it was an industry that I would hope to, to work in and, um, was a big part of getting me there. Yeah, I'm going to be disappointed if when we go to uh, 
doing the tasting part on our beer this week that you don't tell me what side of the mountain the hop was grown on in what valley. <laughs> super yes. disappointed. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so just be prepared. I have the left bank of the Rhone, I believe. I have, uh, I have yeah. really high expectations for this tasting, so uh, don't let us down. A lot of pressure. <laughs> what what kind uh, of questions would a Cicerone have to answer anyway to get to that master level that you said only 2% pass? Like, is it a tasting thing? Is it the science behind it? What is it that they have to, what is the knowledge they have to prove that they have in order to pass that test? Uh, there's different sections of the exam at all levels. And I think the, the sections remain the same. There's like a, you know, a, a beer uh, styles as a part of it, like process, uh, the brewing process, ingredients, raw ingredients. There's uh, a beer and food components. Um, uh, there's a draft component as well. I think what makes that tier so difficult, I think, uh, and oh, and there is also a tasting sort of like a component tasting exam. So I think that part is prohibitively difficult for most people, um, is, is my understanding. I've never taken the test, but, um, and I know that there's a lot of components around beer and food that are difficult to navigate if you're not very well versed in food um my understanding is you know you, you basically got to be a, a burgeoning chef to to really have a shot at uh, at doing well on that part of the test so like you're talking about pairings and you know this beer goes yep. with this type of meat or you know whatever that kind of stuff correct yeah and you, you do some of that stuff at, at all levels of the of the exams but uh, i think it's it's comprehensive and i but I, I think you actually do, you know, you plan a menu, I believe, with a chef, you, you know, you come up with dishes and stuff like that. So if you're if you're out of your element there, I think you, you get exposed very quickly. Right on. Um, so Tim has talked about it in the past when we did uh, some other interviews and we talked about how at competitions, how you I can't remember exactly what you said, Tim. How does a a taster after the first couple of I was at IPAs. Yeah. Getting palate fatigue and all of that. Um, you know, do you, are there tricks to dealing with that? Do you, is there some advice you can give us? Like if we want to sit down and drink a bunch of IPAs, but we get to the point where we just don't feel like we can keep going. Is there a way to reset that in a short period sure. of time or. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, you can ask anybody who's judged, you know, uh, beer categories, heavy hitting categories like IPAs at, uh, you know, homebrew events or beer festivals and things like that. It's tough. Yeah. Cause your palate gets burned out quick. Um, you know, anything that you can do to, to keep your palate clear, like super neutral foods that you can eat, like water crackers, uh, um, you know, that, that sort of thing, stuff to just sort of, you know, scrub your mouth out, drink lots of water. Um, don't, you know, they, they talk about, uh, you know, not wearing cologne or, or perfume or, you know, types of other things that would throw you off in terms of, you know, distracting smells and things like that. But really, really the best advantage you can give yourself is is time, you know, to, to space it out as much as you can. Because after a certain point, you can drink, you know, four or five IPAs and everything tastes the same after a while, regardless of how good your, you know, your palate is or, or anything like that. Right. So you're telling me my tongue scraping routine before each podcast is not helping me. <laughs> it's not hurting. It's not hurting. Oh, so I'm trying to expose those. Exfoliate. You know, 
Yeah, expose the tongue and, you know, get all those taste buds <laughs> activated and stuff. But uh, I guess I'll just give up on that. But uh, Is it one of yeah, those things uh, like when you need to, like you see hot ones and all that where they get the milk or they get the, like, lemon juice or whatever, does that kind of help reset your palate between tastings of beer? Or is, you know, spicy and beer two completely different animals? Uh, spice typically blows out your palate too, uh, whether it's in beer or, or in food. I, really, the worst thing you can do if you're trying to taste beer critically is really be eating at all, which is counterintuitive because, you know, beer is good with food in, in most instances, right? Uh, but if you're tasting critically, you know, the, the best thing that you can be doing is uh, just eating, you know, simple palate cleansing type things like crackers or saltines or something like that and just drinking lots of water to give your palate the best shot at being able to taste what's going on in beer um, that way. But sometimes it's as simple as just, you know, trying to wait five minutes in between different beers and, and just give your, your palate a you know a little bit of a chance to rest. It's different for different types of beers too, you know, for it's different, you know, drinking a, a lager versus a double IPA or something like that. You can, you know, your, your runway is a little bit different. Um, but uh, yeah, by and large, it's uh, it's a challenge for everybody, whether you're trained in it or good at it or or not. Yeah. So if I guess, and we we've talked about it some. Do you do you get to travel much for work, or are you just basically always in the Twin Cities? A little bit. Uh, we do some work in different parts of Wisconsin. Uh, we have some stuff in Chicago too. So a little bit regionally. Okay, so just some more regionally. So when you when you do travel regionally, and, and part of it is because we, like I said, we cover the whole country with time zones and where we're at and all that. So when we have people on that, that do get to travel a bit for work and do what they do, um, when you go to, say, Chicago, is there a brewery that you're like, I'm in town, i got to get over there and, and hang out oh, and have man. a beer? And... Chicago is my favorite brewery city by far. Um because it's so dense and there are so many great breweries that you can get to in short periods of time. Um, And it's, you know, it's such a hospitality focused city and it's, uh, there's so many beer drinkers that breweries can differentiate, you know, along really unique concepts and just kind of go for whatever they want to do and uh, be unapologetic about it. Um, But in Chicago, my favorite brewery is a small brewery up in Ravenswood called Dovetail. Um, and that is a must go to for me along with like probably eight or 10 others in Chicago, but, uh, they make really traditional, uh, German style lagers and, uh, a lot of cool ship and wild fermented beers. It's just really, really nerdy, technical, traditional stuff that doesn't make sense financially (laughs) to make. And, uh, is (laughs) drawn out and process driven and, uh, you know, you can get away with it when you do it in a big city and, not uh, not too many other places, right? Well, for them, yeah, it's a niche, and they've got a certain clientele. I, I have a feeling that that maybe is not a place I should go uh, <laughs> with my not very discerning palate and lack of uh, any kind of sophistication at all when it comes to beer. So oh, the best part about beer is you don't have to be sophisticated to enjoy it. That's why it's the the accessible beverage, whether you love it to death or or don't care about it at all. Um, and in a, in a place like Chicago, you can, you know, you're, you're not going to go wrong anyway. So, right. So, and then, and then we talk, you talk about Wisconsin a little bit, and obviously a big one there that 
that we talk about a lot in our Slack channels and the guys that are beer people in our on stuff at the Tailgate Society, they talk about uh, oh, what is it? New New Glarus, it New, New, New Glarus, the yep. Spotted Cow, and all of that. But uh, outside of better, but Spotted Cow, Spotted Cow, yeah. So in Wisconsin, avoid maybe some of the more well-known ones. Anything you want to point people toward in a specific city, say Madison or anywhere else, you might be. Uh, gosh, let's see. They've got Untitled Art is making uh, great beer uh, in Madison. Tim, Tim, help me out here. Um, you've got, uh, what's the what's the sour place in Madison, too? We should, we should know this. <laughs> oh, Funk, Funk Factory. Yeah, Funk Factory. Uh, that's yeah. a great name. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a cool joint, too. Um, all super traditional, uh, like wild fermented and mixed culture sour beers, but uh, there's there's some great. Uh, yeah, Madison's got uh, Carbon Four and uh, you know just a couple other small breweries, um, kind of an extension of the the Twin Cities brewing scene across the river in like Hudson, uh, even as well. It's got like Hop and Barrel Brewing over there. Um, yeah, just uh, Wisconsin is again, you know, another place. Whether you're traveling through or whether you live there, it's it's not going to be hard to find good beer. And if you're good, good Minnesotans like Tim and I, you'll you'll run across the border just to get a twelve pack of Spotted Cow and a couple other things every every once in a while as well. <laughs> well, I mean, when when you talk about Wisconsin, in every single poll about drinking, I think on the planet per, per city per capita or whatever, like. Nine out of the top ten cities in America for drinking is is in Wisconsin. It seems like when you talk about that kind of stuff. So I would have thought that they would have a pretty robust scene, uh, given given all of that. Uh, and it sounds like they do. So they do. Yeah, they drink a lot of beer, like <laughs> by volume. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's and they're and they're very proud of it. So I'm not I'm not putting anybody down. I don't think. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, a culture that's you know has always embraced you can i think you can you can drink in a bar like with your parents or something like that when you're what 14 yeah. or 15 somebody help me out there has to be someone who knows this wait right? what I'm not... tim I'm, I'm not wrong yeah in... no in, in wisconsin i don't remember how young it is but yeah you can legally drink with your parents in a bar yeah i think it's like there's an eight i think it's maybe 16 or 18 or something like that but i believe that if you are in the company of your legal guardians, uh, and they choose to order you an alcoholic beverage that you can legally uh, consume it as a minor in Wisconsin, which is just a it's just a great law. You know, it's uh, good for them, right? <laughs> I'm I'm googling this, so Riff, I'm going to find out this exact answer. Answer. Tim, speaking uh, Wisconsin, one of my buddies down here is actually from uh, Hudson. Believe it or not, I know they had, that they had a brewery up there, but. There's a cabin we go to in the middle of nowhere and near New Richardson, Wisconsin, Lake Magner. The nearest town is Turtle Lake. But even there, like, yeah, just they love their beer up there. They love their fishing. And yep. it's just it's just Wisconsin. I know because I'm in Big Ten country with a bunch of Hawkeye fans. I hate Wisconsin. But as far as I can certain, it's one of my favorite states on the planet just because it's so laid back. They enjoy their beer. And yep. they just enjoy having a good time there. Actually, Wisconsin's a very pretty state as far as the landscape goes it's definitely not nebraska or kansas and there's actually like trees and hills and such but yeah that's that's cool to hear 
Uh, are there any things in like Milwaukee or anything? I've been to a Brewers game before, which Miller Park is awesome, and they got the tailgating. Are there any microbrews in Milwaukee? Maybe we should look at. Uh, MK MKE uh, Brewing okay. uh, makes good beer. Uh, I've always enjoyed their they're here in our Twin Cities market. I've always enjoyed everything that they've made. Um, brew that on the tarmac of the rare airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah exactly. MKE exactly. is the airport code for Milwaukee. Yeah, um, but you know, Milwaukee, I think is Milwaukee's got a great sort of like uh, drinking and beer scene in general. There's some, you know, I think good beer bars are well regarded there. It's a good place to to drink, you know, because you get some Chicago beer that shows up there into that market. You get Wisconsin beer, uh, some Twin Cities beer. Uh, there's an outlet of a of a big Twin Cities brewery called Indeed Brewing that opened in Milwaukee, like a second location this past year. So it's just sort of a good, it's a good place to be a beer drinker. And and I'm sure now it's been a few years since I've been, I'm sure there's a couple of, you know, super small uh, taproom only uh, breweries that I, that I need to check out. Um, and we'll look forward to doing that next time I'm there. I was say, when I was there for a Cubs game, we went to an Irish pub and they had like six varieties of Smittix and they had, you know, three or four varieties of Guinness, which I didn't know that were available here in the States, but they're all freaking delicious, and yeah, no. Milwaukee's a really, really, really cool town, especially like beer, and I guess that explains why their baseball team is named the Brewers. I guess it's very apropos. Yes, they uh, they embrace the culture for sure. Right, so we do have one question uh, before we get into our tasting side of this and take a break for our sponsors. We have one question that we ask everybody that comes on the pod, and that is you... Uh, crash horribly into the ocean, wash up onto a desert island, and you only have three or four, maybe five beers that you can have with you. What do you got? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I got to have a good, like, crisp, clean lager, um, like a uh, like a Pivot Pills from Firestone Walker, I think would probably be be on that list. Um, I need, like, a, like a classic... Uh, you know, easy drinking, hop forward sort of thing. So I'm thinking like a Sierra Nevada pale ale would be there. Um, We've done that what, beer on the pod. We've done that beer <laughs> yeah. before, and I <laughs> rediscovered my love of that beer. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a great beer to to just sort of keep falling in love with, right? Because it's it's you can have a 12 pack and not know it. Sort of a sort of a, a beer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like a good a good fresh half of Weizen. Uh, you know, of, of any type would be, would be one that I would, would want to have for sure. Um, man, that's pro I, I could probably do okay with, with like those three. I would, I would be in good shape. Um, a couple of IPAs that, you know, I, but I would, I would get sick of them after a while and I'd want to rotate something else in. So if I'm, I'm limited to, you know, gotta, gotta ride or die with it. It's probably going to be a couple of beers like those. Oh, that's, I think you're the first person who's actually, stopped at three and didn't <laughs> didn't go at least to five so didn't didn't get um, greedy yeah I'm so to take, you know i'm on a, i'm on an island i assume it's going to be hot you know I, I don't need a barrel aged imperial stout or anything like that i'm just trying to be practical right no absolutely i 100 percent agree so i'm gonna we're gonna take you into the break uh all you parents listening um with the what i found on wikipedia as what they call the drinking age in wisconsin uh, and it is the drinking age in Wisconsin is 21. 
Those under the legal drinking age may be served, possess, or consume alcohol if they are with a parent, legal garden, guardian, or spouse who is of legal drinking age. Ah, that's all it says. There, spouse, there is no, there's, no age, there's no age on it. So, JT, you get married at 17 to a 21-year-old, you can drink in the bar with her. I was more yeah, thinking, how low does that go? I mean, I know it's Wisconsin and all, it, but... It doesn't set a minimum. Uh, from what I'm finding here, There's, I'm sure there's got to be one, but according to Wikipedia, they do not list a minimum age. What's the minimum marriage age up in Scotty? I, I kind of wonder now. I don't actually well, want to Well, there may not be out. one of those either. Maybe they just don't write wow. minimum okay. stuff <laughs> into their laws. I'm not Legal sure. Guardian, Someone, okay. Someone's just going to have to marry a 18-year-old and see if you can buy him a beer, I guess, huh? There we go. Yeah, I mean it's pretty, uh, pretty vague um, with what's in what I found in a very quick, albeit Google search uh, on a Wikipedia page, and you know how accurate those can be. So, but it's something along those lines. So it is a thing. Uh, I'm very disappointed to have heard that because I went to Wisconsin many times with my parents back in the day uh, when we lived in Iowa as a minor and never took advantage of that law. Missed opportunities. Uh, is, yeah, yeah it is unfortunate. So uh, we're going to take a short break. Um, remember to check out all of the other podcasts at the tailgate society.com uh, sports and corks uh, matinee baseball culture check. Um, I want to say that we're not that drunk is on hiatus right now and taking a little break, uh, but there's some, uh, maybe even a drunk dialing happening tonight. Uh, from what I understand. So check all those out at the tailgatesociety.com. You can find them on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, any of those places you find podcasts. So check those guys out, and we will be right back after a word from our sponsor, Deadeye Barbecue Sauce. This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. And welcome back to Bitter Units. Uh, We are into our tasting portion of the episode. Uh, As usual, we've got a beer that we uh, have find pretty readily available for most folks. Uh, It is Oscar Blues Brewery. Dale's Pale Ale. Uh, it's a beautiful red, white, and blue can. Uh, other than that, I don't know squat about it. So, Tim, what can you tell us about Dale's Pale Ale? Sure. So, first, a little bit about uh, Oscar Blues, the brewery. Uh, they are uh, out in in Longmont, Colorado. They actually started out as a brew pub in Lyons. Uh, that brew pub is still there. Actually, uh, some fantastic food, some fantastic barbecue. That's where their their pilot brewing goes on. I think they have something like forty five different tap lines uh, at that brew pub there. Jeez. This 
uh, Oscar Blues was started uh, late 90s, 97, 98, somewhere around there. And in 2002, they started canning. They weren't technically the, the first um, the first brewery to start putting craft beer in cans, but they were the one that, that really kind of popularized that. So the fact that you see so many craft beers in cans, they, they get a lot of credit for that. Um, just because it's something that they don't just do cans. They only do cans. So they're the largest brewery that has, that has completely said no glass whatsoever. So they're only doing cans. Um, the one kind of thing to note about this Dale's Pale Ale can, uh, you'll see this on, on some of their other cans, but if you look uh, kind of between the logos, you see a little circle with a bunch of dots, kind of looks like a screen. Uh, that is their way of letting you know if you were to turn this thing into... Uh, a piece of drug paraphernalia where exactly you would be setting that up so that you would be able to smoke weed out of this can. Uh, that's definitely something that, again, out in Colorado, I, we've talked about this before. The beer industry loves their puns, and, and certainly uh, a few more than a few breweries like to make weed references as well, um, uh, which is going to be interesting as weed starts to get more and more legalized and they actually start to become a competing industry. But uh, uh, that's definitely something that, you know, they've played off over the years, but Dale's Pale Ale was the one that, that they, they launched off with the cans and became at the time, uh, really became their flagship. Really. They've got a number of beers now that I think you could probably, uh, debate, which is, you know, more popular or more successful, but Dale's is still probably the one that that's the most ubiquitous. It's definitely one of those that it is an American pale, um, like I've talked about before, styles uh, tend to be fluid. It, this is definitely something that if you were going to compare it to like that Sierra Nevada Pale Ale that, that we had before, that was what, like 38 IBUs, and this is something like 60 or something like that. So it's it's definitely closer to that, that IPA-ish range. Um, it's got some... English malts in here, some English crystal malts that definitely make it kind of a, a maltier beer than than uh, an IPA as well. But it still has that uh, Columbus and Cascade and Centennial, a lot of those those hops that we talked about. They kind of kicked off the American craft beer revolution as well, or at least the 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 second stage of that that craft beer revolution. Um, so. Uh, that's just a little bit about the beer, a little bit uh, about the brewery. This is one of those beers that, you know, we were talking about Wisconsin earlier, and, and Kyle mentioned popping over to the border. Uh, we couldn't get this in Minnesota, uh, but we could get it in Wisconsin. So I actually used to pop over and grab a case of this to go take camping. Uh, I always thought this was kind of like a really great kind of campfire beer. Uh, so... Uh, I'm happy we, we get a chance to do it. It's something I haven't actually enjoyed in a little while. So, um, yeah, why don't we why don't we have at it? Kyle, do you have anything you want to add about Oscar Blues or Dales? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely covered most of the the high points. I think it's definitely a very like kind of seminal beer from this time period. I think whatever uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Tim's given the history lessons every week, right? Where you know, kind of this 2000 to you know 2008 or 2000. 2009 time period is kind of a marker where you have a lot of the 
now regional sized or larger craft breweries sort of, you know, establish themselves during this time. And uh, Oscar Blues uh, sort of is the spearhead brand in this larger group now called Canarchy, which is, uh, you know, sort of a more of like a conglomeration of a couple different breweries. Uh, I think Cigar City uh, out of Florida is part of the group. Um, Three Weavers, I think. Yeah, Perrin, just kind of like... Wasatch. Wasatch out of Utah, yeah. So sort of like diversified across the country, you know, similar-sized breweries that, you know, use each other's distribution networks and and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I think this beer is like an early early 2000s classic. It's it's definitely, like Tim said, it's sort of like an under-hopped IPA uh, more so than, you know, like a pale ale along the lines of like a Sierra Nevada pale ale. This bigger too. I think it's six and a half. Uh, yeah, six and a half percent alcohol. So it's uh, definitely up in that uh, kind of IPA uh, range. But it's got that good burnished uh, kind of color from the you know the sort of English malts and all these sort of classic sea hops that uh, that Tim talked about. These are kind of the you know the the Mount Rushmore type hops of the you know, the craft brewing industry when it uh, really kind of starts to emerge during this time. Awesome. Well, let's, oh, go ahead, JT. Is, is there an actual guy named Dale and that's why it's named after him or is that just the name they chose? I hope so. It'd be weird if there was there, there is, there is an actual guy <laughs> named Dale. I don't remember the story behind that. I did at one point. I probably should have looked that up before we, we hopped up the podcast, but. Oh, okay. you know. This is my brother Dale. This is my other brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm wait, sure. I'm sure someone out there will will know the story. I, they have a few different beers where they've they've named them after people. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. But so, uh, right. yeah, let's 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 pop into it. Uh, go ahead and, and crack that open and pour that into your glass if you have not already. Uh, Sorry, Kyle, we opened mine, Tim. Oh, that's that's all right. Kind of the way we kind of go through this is, you know, we talk about uh, appearance and aroma, kind of to start off, and then we do taste, mouthfeel, and finish all kind of as one, uh, just because they're all kind of interacting a little bit. But first of all, appearance. What are you guys? What are you guys seeing? So it, it's it's a clear beer. Um, uh, it's almost it's a really dark golden um, bordering on almost to the amber type of color to me um, but it's definitely a dark golden uh, color um, but it, it all it does look like it's got just a little bit of an amber hue to it to me um, but then I don't know anything so I could be wrong but uh, it definitely looks like beer yeah I'll piggyback up that it definitely looks like beer seems to be a little bit hazier than the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, but it's still fairly clear. Uh, you see kind, kind of few bubbles rising up from the bottom of the glass when I poured it into. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely gold. There's definitely a little bit of, there is a little bit of redness to it, but it's definitely what I'd consider a golden um, color in appearance. Cool. Well, how about, uh, how about aroma? What are you getting when you stick your nose in there? I'm still getting nothing because it's spring, summer in the Midwest, and I have allergy. allergy so yeah, <laughs> I get absolutely nothing, and I don't like it. Yeah, th- this to me is kind of one of those uh, history lesson type beers. That, you know, if you wanted to really dial people in on kind of the taste of American craft beer 
from this era, especially, you know, you could pour a, you know, a big uh, street down the middle pour of this one and you, you would know pretty quick. It's that kind of classic, uh, you know, sort of that uh, florally citrus grapefruit, uh, you know, kind of really just jumps up and, and grabs you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't get, and this is kind of jumping ahead and jumping backward at the same time. <laughs> Give, given the bitterness of it, um, which we haven't talked about taste yet, but it's really not as pungent as I would expect it to be. I don't get that sharp odor. I mean, from an odor standpoint, it's really kind of a light, nice smelling beer. So it it surprises me, and I'm going to go right into the tasting part after this. But it surprises me just how bitter and sharp it is once you start drinking it. If I smelled it and then I thought, oh, this is going to be pretty smooth, and then you get that that punch of bitterness uh, because I, I looked it up. I think it's 65 IBUs. Um, it's surprisingly sharp with the bitterness compared to how it smells, in my opinion, which is still probably wrong. No, I so I you know when <laughs> if you remember when we had Michael on and we talked about kind of when different hop additions are and how the earlier ones contribute more to bitterness they're not about that aroma necessarily so when you have something that's going to be 65 ibus you're not going to necessarily smell that you're going to be tasting that a lot more it's particularly in that that bitterness kind of up front as well uh jt what are you getting smell wise taste we skipped right taste. On. oh we skipped well, moving to taste. on I seamlessly interwove those together. I was going to say, I've had it so many times before. It's definitely smooth, but there's definitely a punch to it. Um, to me, it very much balances on the IPA slash pale ale line. Where is it at? Because it's definitely got the hops. It's definitely got some bitterness. But um, but once again, it's one of those beers like the Sierra Nevada pale ale that just... It's the same taste when it first serves your taste buds and afterwards. There's no drop-off. There's no real change in flavor like some beers that we've had before have done. But I don't know. It's it's smooth. It's clean. It's hoppy. It's fresh. It's, I don't know, it's just one of my favorite beers ever because I, one of the things you can see on, I know you don't like it, but untapped is the word crushable. This would be a crushable beer, in my opinion. Cool. Kyle, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely a crushable beer, without a doubt. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely, you know, you're talking a little bit about kind of breaking things down along style, which is less and less relevant uh, to beer now and, and arguably never really was that important. But if you're if you're comparing it across lines to like a Sierra Nevada pale ale, just because they both have, you know, pale ale in the name, right? It's, uh, you know, it's definitely a bigger beer more alcohol more bitterness uh more body um and i i don't i mean i think it's just naming uh it, it's basically an ipa you know it's six and a half percent it's hopped um like an ipa and this would have been an aggressive beer in 2002 for sure you know to have a beer that was had this amount of bitterness to it and you know probably some dry hopping and stuff like that that would have been kind of novel at the time you know you would have had to explain what these things you know might be to to drinkers but you know it's it's now to us in the age of uh you know hazy ipas and uh 
you know, triple dry hopped beers and things like that. It tastes, you know, smooth and crushable and, and all that stuff, but it's, it's backed up nicely by this, you know, this malt backbone a little bit, uh, kind of another word that gets overused. It's got a little bit of a, a heft of <laughs> sweetness on the back end that kind of props up, makes, makes those 65 IBUs uh, a little bit more drinkable. Yeah. Is, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. No, go ahead. I was going to say, <laughs> is there a branding thing with it where they make it as a pale ale? So it's you know, appeals to people who are like, oh, it's a pale ale. I can crush this more easily than if it was an IPA. People are like, oh, that's an IPA that's going to hit me harder. Is there maybe oh. some marketing behind that? Look, look, can I jump in on this? Yeah. I, I want to I see if I'm, my brain is remembering right from back in the day when I used to drink a lot more beer. Um, pale ales were way more popular in the late 90s, early 2000s than mm-hmm. IPAs were. As I remember, a drinking a ton of beers that were labeled as pale ales in college and the first few years that I was out. I don't remember any beers that were IPAs hardly. Um, Not that there weren't some, but they just, I I think it was a popularity thing. And when this came out, that was the thing to call it, to get people to drink it. That's my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm going with. No, I I was gonna say the same thing. It, it's not really a matter of of marketing from a trying to steer people that would normally shy away from IPAs. More just of that's what you were calling this beer at the time. Um, you know, it, like like Kyle was saying at the time, this was an aggressive beer. I remember you know getting this in the early two thousands, thinking, man, this is this is a pretty aggressive beer. It. it uh, so again, to go with all the overused beer terms, uh, one that I don't uh, like often is balanced. And, and people have, I looked at the, the cell sheet for this and they call this balanced. And I'm like, well, you know, it does have that that good kind of sturdy malt to it. And that those, again, those English crystal malts are definitely coming through and kind of giving a, a bready, maybe almost a slight toffee type of, of character to it. Um, but I anymore i don't have any idea what anyone means when they say balance uh because there are some things that are just so aggressively over hopped that people still call balance that i I, honestly at this point i don't know what that means anymore um but yeah you put on sell sheets to uh to sell beer (laughs) yeah exactly or so where is a description you put on on tap and you look and like oh yeah everyone else is saying yeah that makes sense yeah well and you know you you would ask the question too about uh you know what what influence is there to you know marketing and branding i mean it, it's huge it's as big in beer as it is well, in anything else i mean you can walk into anywhere that sells beer and 90 percent of what's available for you is going to be called an ipa of some kind regardless of its uh relationship to ipa <laughs> uh you know in this in this day and age it's, it's uh you know you put ipa in something that's more likely to to sell and the same thing it's the same type of relationship to a word like balance it's appealing you know something's balanced well that's good that implies that it's not out of balance that sounds pleasant <laughs> hey tim what was the terminology on the sell sheet for black butte that we laughed at I think it was the entire thing where he rolled his eyes in the back of his head like the Undertaker. Oh, it was it so was did, like it's a cool breeze on a yeah it was cool fall, breeze a fine on a fall yeah. day with the uh, yeah yeah Montana with something in your left hand and yeah yeah so we yeah we had the 
VP of marketing, Neil uh, Stewart on uh, from Deschutes a couple weeks ago. And he read us the sell sheet for Black Butte Porter. And we just, we couldn't, we couldn't not laugh about it. It was like, <laughs> it was crazy. And that was, that's a damn good beer, by the way, too. Oh, it's great very beer. balanced and crushable, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I mean, you guys are all big fans of this beer. Mm-hmm. And so I have a hot take in that I don't think it's a bad beer, but I I don't like it because maybe it's because we did so many IPAs to start with. Uh, to me, it's it should be an IPA and it's a wannabe IPA. And it's like either go ahead and punch me in the face like an IPA should or be Sierra Nevada. That being in the middle stuff is uh, annoying me a little bit. And like I said, I would totally drink this beer if somebody handed it to me and I'd be happy about it. But I'm not happy about the way it's named and the labeling of American Pale Ale when it's like neither of those. It's neither a pale ale nor an IPA in my very, very, one more time, very uneducated opinion. Hot take. That's me. There you go. Well, and that's that's definitely something that I brought up before that that it does get tricky on what you decide to call a beer, um, just because you know we've you see that happen a, a beer that you called it a, a pale ale because that's what sold, and now pale ales don't sell, and so now people are still trying to relate it to that. And, and so you can take a, a well-established brand uh, that's a really good beer and, and once styles change and once styles evolve and once consumer preferences evolve, then uh, it, it does kind of set up a certain level of disappointment for that, that consumer, right, wrong, or indifferent. Well, and you'd, you'd mentioned it in the last episode with Little Something Something that you'd heard, you'd seen it called a few different things over the years. Yeah, yeah, it's been you called know. a hoppy wheat, it's been called an IPA, it's been called any number of things, but if I, if I would have handed that beer to JT and said, hey, this is a wheat beer, he would have said, I don't like wheat beers, and he's not going to drink it, so they don't call it that anymore, but at one point, that's that's what they really started to refer to a little something-something as. Um, yeah, and I, so. and I get why they do it, I mean, shoot, I even understood why it was a pale ale, because when it was made, I mean, my dumbass figured that out but <laughs> you know it, it's one of those things where it's like you there's nothing says you can't change it as the time goes would it be a better selling beer if they changed it and called it an ipa now well i mean it gets into that point of if something is a legacy does that start to you know the people that are drinking dale's pale ale oscar blues isn't drink, trying to yeah, to win over new time. consumers with it Right. So um, if you That's all what I mean. it's, start- it's the old established people, the people that were drinking it in 2002 and 2005 that are drinking it now. And we talked about that with Fat Tire a little bit where it's your your dad's beer. Right. Because it's an older established <laughs> crap beer. I'm sorry, but this screams to me that this, it's got the same problem. Right. I would not. Younger people who are into IPAs will not grab this off the shelf. So, so, Correct. so actually, I, I, when, I would say, 
Sorry, Tim. I was just going to say, I think you're, everything you're saying is, is right. You're, you're definitely right. I don't, uh, like Tim said, I think, um, you know, it's a legacy brand um, from a brewery that sells a lot of beer, you know, uh, to people who've been drinking it for a long time. Part of what you're saying, though, is, you know, your, your expectations are calibrated a little bit to your frame of reference, right? You're saying, like, I have this thing where I was drinking beers in the 90s, and I remember them being called pale ales, and this doesn't taste like a pale ale to me. So if I just poured this into a glass and handed it to you and said, hey, have this IPA, you'd probably be have a different take on it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd still think it was just okay because I'm not a huge IPA guy, but I don't sure. think it's a bad beer, right? I, I don't think right. there's anything wrong with the beer. And maybe I'm being a dick right now about the marketing side of it. No. And that, like, if you're not growing, you're dying, and... I honestly, this beer has been around a long time. And back in the day, I used to drink a ton of beer and I have never had this beer, which is kind of crazy. For, well, to, it, for wasn't, me to it wasn't available in Iowa for one. Um, but uh, no, it, I mean, you and I'll even when I mentioned to Kyle, what we're going to be drinking tonight. Kyle, do you remember what you said to me? I don't remind me. Oh, yeah. You, you said, how old are you? <laughs> I did say that, yeah. Say that. <laughs> so, so there, there is definitely uh, that um, aspect of it too. It is that that legacy, and sometimes, you know, again, like we talked about with with New Belgium, um, New, New Belgium isn't trying to win people over with fat tire anymore. They're not trying to to make fat tire the latest and greatest. They're just trying to not uh, ruin a classic. You know, and I think that's what Oscar Blues because they have so again. I I said I I think it's like forty five different beers on tap at, at at the the brew pub and Lions, and they're they're constantly you know coming out with with other beers that also have weed references and things like that. But I think um, uh, you know it it does become a problem. That's why you see a lot of legacy brands start to die and start to struggle, and, and some of those breweries that that we are definitely seeing it now or some of these large regionals have had to scale back and, and had to change things because beers become such a, what have you done for me lately type of industry? Right. Um, Look what happened to Blatz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably the most apropos comparison for sure. <laughs> I was going to say though, uh, when we were talking about the marketing thing though, it's like, I go to Denver every year for a hockey game, and I'm like, I'm going to be here for three hours. Do I want to reach for an IPA, which is going to be higher, going to be make me sleepier faster, or do I want to reach for a pale ale? I'll reach for a pale ale because it's going to be less potent. And, like, have they labeled this as an IPA? I probably wouldn't have bought it as much, to be quite honest, because I think if a pale ale is going to be a little bit milder, not going to hit me as hard as far as the alcohol and the bitterness standpoint. But, yeah. I was just going to say, when your guys are talking about it, I just wanted to share that, my take on that. Well, your take is wrong. I've been right all day. <laughs> Mark it down in history. Aaron was right about beer. <laughs> no, I, I did also tell Tim, though, earlier in the week, I said, it's, it's, it's fun to revisit a beer like this. It's been a while since I've had a Dale's Pale Ale, for sure. And... Uh, you know, because I'm, I'm out in the market and I'm, you know, drinking beers at bars and restaurants and breweries. And it's, you know, very much what have you done for me lately or yesterday or two hours ago or whatever when it comes to, to beer and what's hot at the moment and what people are into. And, 
you know, there's there's nothing sexy about Dale's Pale Ale for sure. It is uh, entirely unsexy, uh, but it is very good, and uh, it's it's a beer that people should get calibrated to if you haven't had a chance to try, you know, a, a beer like that. It's important to you know you can draw a through line there uh, from a beer like this to you know where we are today with you know hoppy beers and stuff like that. So it, it kind of helps you you know connect the dots a little bit. You see, this is a beer we we I talk all the time. Kyle's not familiar with it, but you both, uh, Aaron and Tim, know that I love uh, Oreo Speedwagon. I have it in my fridge all the time. This is another one that's always in my fridge constantly, no matter what. Is I have a six-pack or I've got a silo of Dale's Pale Ale just because I was like, what am I going to drink? No, oh, that looks good because it's never going to disappoint me. It's never going to blow my socks off, don't get me wrong, but it's never going to be something I'm going to regret drinking. Well, and those are the most important beers for people who like beer. That makes sense. Apparently, Aaron is jamming out to something right now. Uh, no, I'm just, I don't know. I was expecting more from all the hype of this beer that you that I'd heard from you guys in the past little bit since we decided to do it. And uh, But again, not saying it's a bad beer. We haven't had a bad beer yet, and that's probably because uh, well, no, it, it's we got have, alcohol no. in it and I'm drinking it, so it's not bad. I mean, that's <laughs> sort of my, how my world works. But, we had you know, Peroni. It's... Peroni sucked. Yeah, I'd drink that again, though. So, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm just not that picky. So, light strike the shit out of it and give it to me. I'm going to drink it. So, um, but, yeah, it's just one of those where it definitely strikes me more, like I said, as a, as based off of what we've had up to this point on the show, it's definitely, to me, it's an IPA and not a pale ale um i'd be inclined to agree with you i think that's that's yeah i definitely say there's more in the ipa area as far as the flavor fuel goes so but i I, and i used to drink a lot of and it's actually a a brewery that neil had worked at uh and i never even thought about asking him about it um the flying dog they did a they used to have a doggy style pale ale uh maybe they still have it the doggy style pale ale I used to drink a lot of that because it amused me uh, with the naming. But and it's different than this, right? It's m- more closer probably to um, a smoother pale ale than this is. But it's also been a few years since I've had that. But, yeah, just, I don't know. It's a silly to be bothered by that, but it just bothers me a little bit. It is silly. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not... I, not going to tell you I hate all pale ales or hate all IB, IPAs or wheat beers or anything. I'm going to drink everything somebody puts in front of me, but it's just one of those things where it's not what I was expecting. I guess that's the the, the part where it's a bit of a letdown. But the no, second time a, I drink it... It's a big it, part of drinking beer, you know. Is, uh, the the next time I drink it, I'll know exactly what I'm getting into. So it won't matter, you know. Um, but as this is the very first time I've ever had this beer... I was just expecting something different. That's fair. I don't know. Tim's face says it's not fair. I mean, the rest <laughs> of you can't <laughs> see it. It's fair. Tim is currently <laughs> looking at me like, you piece of shit. No, <laughs> that's just the look I always give you, pretty much regardless <laughs> of what you're saying. Well, that's and, also and true. The, the crying, too, is really sad <laughs> as well. Just the, the tears streaming down your face. It's, it's tough for us here having to watch you like this, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, man, it has been a great episode. Um, I, I'm not going to close it out. Uh, you know, JT, I don't think we've let you close out a show yet. Um, I do want to say thank you to Kyle for being on the, on the pod with us. Um, I think we've learned quite a bit and, uh, it's been a good time. Um, I don't want to close out the show because I'm not a Dale's pale ale guy, but JT says it's in his fridge all the time. So she should be excited to give it one <laughs> last boost as we roll out to the end of the show. Remember to check out all the other pods on tailgatesociety.com and JT take us to the finish line. All right, we've talked about crushable beers before. We talked about readily available beers before. We started with the Sierra Nevada. Uh, think of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale as a beer uh, that you can drink. If you move up to Dale's Pale Ale, you're taking the training wheels off your bicycle, and you're putting on your big boy pants, and you're trying something different. Uh, <laughs> how I kind of describe it. It's It's been one of my favorite beers for years. Um Maybe not everyone likes it, but if you're looking for a good pale ale that's actually pretty much an IPA branding, uh, it's very good. It It's something you can drink in all situations. If you're camping, if you're at a baseball game, if you're at a hockey game, uh, if you're just at a bar, at a barbecue, whatever, it mixes well with pretty much everything. Uh, and it's something that probably won't let you down uh, and something you'll definitely like and I look forward to seeing what we do next week. What are you, what is our beer next week? I'm sorry, I forget. I don't think we've decided yet. Okay, okay. So, but yeah, but definitely, definitely once again, um, we're brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best goddamn barbecue sauce on the planet. They just today or yesterday on Facebook and today. Twitter dropped, was it today? Okay. Yep. Dropped off a bunch of new flavors and all that, and they all look incredible. And honestly, it is amazing barbecue. If you haven't had it yet, you can get it on Amazon. If you live here in Iowa, you can get a Fairway, Hy-Vee, uh, Price Chopper. All the local all the local grocery stores have it. It's really good barbecue. And, hey, maybe you can pair it with a beer we have coming forward in one of these days. Well, all right. Well, thanks a lot. That's another episode of Bitter Units. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time.